Great to be with you, and it's such an exciting uh, day to celebrate TSM and this afternoon's graduation. I think we started it, Tess, we started it 10 years ago. I had no idea of the impact it would have on so many lives, so it's brilliant to be with you. Let me just pray for us as we start. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done, that you can, we can hear your voice. I know for me that is a shock when I realised that, that turned my life upside down, that you care uh, enough to speak to each one of us. And I just pray for that revelation to run deep in our community. Even those here today who've never had any thought of God or have come as visitors for the first time, uh, I pray, God, that they would encounter that truth too, that they can hear your voice and speak to us today, each one of us, as we look at your word together and understand what you're speaking to us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, um, my, uh, one of the things that kind of runs very deep in me is this sense that everyone is looking for God. Whether they know it or not, everyone is looking for God. And as a, as a Christian now, but as an atheist before, I knew even then I was looking for God. I didn't know where to find him, and I didn't even believe in him, but I knew that I was looking for something. There was something out there. There was a, a deep sense. And, and you see that all around you in the world. People craving, looking for something. And, and sometimes I don't even know. And sometimes they get confused. I heard a story of a, a teacher. She asked her class, where is God? Um, one little girl said, I think he's in heaven. And she said, oh, well done, that's a good answer. And another little boy said, he's in my heart. And that was a, that was a good answer. And then one little boy said, I think he might be in my bathroom. <laughs> and the teacher said, what makes you say that? He said, because every morning my dad comes down and says, he hammers on the bathroom door. He says, good Lord, are you still in there? <laughs> Which... <laughs> which is a symptom of the fact that some people get confused. And, you know, uh, in this search, I think it, it's a search that comes from deep within the human heart, that, that there's a deep place within us, that there's got to be, are we alone in the universe? Are we on our own? Are we here? Uh, is there anything out there? <laughs> that kind of uh, cry. And uh, it's interesting, at the beginning of the year, Theresa May uh, launched a new initiative, and this is what she said. As she began the initiative looking at the whole area of loneliness, trying to solve the loneliness epidemic, she said, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. What she's saying, and she's saying that as a government, they've realized that, that loneliness, you can, you can fix lots of other things around, but ultimately, if people are still lonely, no matter how much money you've got, no matter how much help stuff you've got, loneliness is a sad reality of modern life, and that is one of the biggest epidemics, actually, in our society. They did a survey recently which would indicate that 9 million people in the UK would say that they often or always feel lonely. If you were to ask the kind of older generation, those retired, there's over 200,000 people in the UK who've not had a conversation with a friend or a family member in over a month. If you talk to, to young uh, adults who are disabled, those who are under 34, 85% of that group would say they always feel lonely. And so there is, a, there is an epidemic. Has anyone acknowledged that? In a connected world, in a world that's more connected than ever, than ever before, loneliness is chronic. And this is what Mother Teresa said. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. In a woman who, who saw poverty at most extreme, physical poverty, she said actually greater than all of this is the deep sense of loneliness. You can live in a slum and have family and you'll be better off than someone who's got everything that world can offer but deeply in, the, in their heart be lonely. And so we live in this epidemic, and, and I believe in community, and I applaud what the government's trying to do in this area and what other community groups do and what we do as a church. And to me, that's what the church should be. In a, in a society where family is fragmented, the church is God's new family. 
that we should build a community through groups and other ways that people, through serving together, they find family, they find connection, they find each other. But there's something deeper than even that. There's something deeper than even the the friendship that can come from family. Because I don't know about you, but I've had periods of my life where I've been around family, I've been around community, but I still felt lonely. And I think that's because there's something deeper. And the deepest reality of all is this is when you know that God is present, you can never feel truly lonely again. <laughs> it's only the, the acknowledgement, the knowledge that God is present that gives you the deepest sense of community, of society. And, and so more than that even, I believe that every one of us is called to carry this sense of God's presence, but also to impact the world around by it. And so I want to talk to you today about cultivating the awareness of the presence of God cultivating the awareness of the presence of God. I want to look at what the Bible says. I want to look at this big picture of how do we as believers, those who are following Christ, cultivate an awareness of the presence of God. And also those of you who are not yet Christians here amongst us, what does it mean for you? How does God show up? If there is a God, how would he show up to us? What does it look like for you, for all of us on this journey? And and there are four... um, realities, I guess, four things that we need to understand when we're thinking about the presence of God. The first is this, the omnipresence of God. You know, there's a story when the first Russian astronaut went into space. When he came back, the first question that was asked him was this, did you see God? And he said, no. Sorry, I'm turning into Arnold Schwarzenegger now. He says, no, I did not. (laughs) That's a poor impression of even him. But anyway, apologies to any Russians in the room. Uh, He said, no, I did not experience, I did not see God. And the Soviets at the time lauded that as proof that there was no God. When the first American astronaut went into space, the fourth question that was asked him when he came back was, did you see God? And he said, no, but if I'd have stepped outside of my spacesuit, I would have done. (laughs) It's a different awareness, isn't it? A different... Reality, we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image. And there are some characteristics of God's image that we carry. These are called the communicable attributes of God, which is a, a, posh, way, which, a posh way of saying these are the ways that we are like God. And love and mercy and kindness. God is like that, and we can be like that in, his, uh, in, in, a, in a smaller way, in a lesser way. We can be like God. The communicable attributes. But there are some attributes which are incommunicable, which means that God is like some things that we just don't even understand. We're not even close to. In fact, they kind of start to fuse our brains when we think about them. And the first one I want to bring to your attention is the omnipresence of God, that God is present everywhere. In the entire universe, he is present everywhere, and not just in this time, but in all time. He is the great I am. So he is present in all time and in all space. He is existing at the same time. It's not like Dash from The Incredibles who just is really fast and appears to be everywhere. He really is everywhere at the same time. And if you are not fused in your head as you think about that, you haven't thought deeply enough about it. What would it be look like? It's completely alien to us. And some of you are like, Simon, I'm not sure. I think we do. You know, there's some people that do share that characteristic. My mother, for example, you know, whenever I did something wrong, she was always there. She was always there. Anyone else have a mother like that? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that... That, no, no, it, this is even different to your mum. God is so beyond that. He has a, an attribute of his omnipresence. He is there all the time. This is what Isaiah 66 says. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. He is omnipresent. When you know that God is present, you will never be alone again. But there's more. The second point that the Scriptures, the Bible makes clear about God is not just He's omnipresent. He's everywhere in all space and all time. He is imminent. 
You, you might think, well, God's omnipresence seems a bit out there, seems a bit far, seems a bit remote, I can't really relate, but the Bible takes it deeper and says, no, no, God's not just omnipresent, he is imminent, which means he is near. He is a spirit, and yet he is near to us in our world, in our, t- in our space, in our uh, zone. He is imminent to us, he is near to us. And, you know, the, the Christian men and women through history have drawn great comfort from this. Uh, one of my heroes of the faith is a guy called Sadhu uh, Sundar Singh, which is a great name if you're having a baby. And um, Sundar Singh was uh, a Christian, uh, a mis- Indian mystic, basically. He got saved out of a Hindu background and then wandered around India. Like the Hindu mystics, he wandered around, but he was a Christian one, a, a Christian Sadhu. And his message was sometimes accepted warmly and people came to faith in Christ but very often rejected because he was going against the teachings of the ancestors of of his culture. Uh, And he was often beaten, thrown out of towns. And there was one story he tells where the town was so incensed that they had uh, previously dug a pit where they used to throw the criminals and just let them die in the pit. And he was thrown into this pit. And he was in this pit for day after day after day to the point he thought that he was going to die until some villager who was uh, uh, kind of friendly towards him at night snuck there, broke the lock, opened the thing and pulled him out and he managed to escape that village. And this is what he said afterwards. A wonderful peace filled my heart, so lovely that I cannot describe it, even while I was in the pit. Never have I experienced a greater blessedness of the peace of Jesus than during those days in that pit. Christ's peace turned that deep well into the gate of heaven. How was it possible to have the peace of God in the pitch dark night, in the midst of corpses and dead men's bones? Joy like this, peace like this, comes from nothing in the world. God alone can give it. When you know God is present, you can never be alone again. No matter what pit you're in right now, no matter what despair you're feeling, no matter how alone you might feel, when you know God is present, you can never be alone. In the deepest, darkest, worst pit of your life, he is there. How many can testify to that? It's in that place. You often encounter him in ways that you don't encounter him when you're just going through the the normal rhythms of life. This is what David wrote in the psalm. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. When you know God is present, you can never be alone. (laughs) And notice that David, it's not just God's omnipresent, he's there, it's his imminence. Your hand supports me. Your hand supports me. Your circumstances might not yet have changed, but God is there and his hand supports you. And, and what's been amazing to me on my journey to faith uh, is to look back to see how God was even moving when I didn't even believe or in his existence. And I've heard that story of so many. This is what it says in Acts, another scripture from verse, uh, chapter 17. From one man, God created all the nations throughout the earth. He decided beforehand where they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I love that. He is not far from any one of us. You could be feeling like you're a million miles from God, but you need to know this. He's not far from you. 
He is not far from you. And, and I've heard so many stories across my life of this very reality. Uh, one of my favorite ones from, uh, I think it was late last year, early this year, I heard from a, a church. We're part of a family of churches called Catalyst, which is part of a bigger family called New Frontiers. And one of our, uh, family of ch- one of our churches in the Middle East, they had a lady, um, she came to their community secretly because it was illegal to be a believer in their nation. And she came secretly, gathered in through a friend of a friend. And when she came there, she said, this feeling in this room, in this community, it's like my dream. And they said, well, tell us about your dream. And she said, well, in my dream, there was a man on a white horse. And he was surrounded by a community of people. And, and that, that feeling in that dream, in that community, standing around looking at this man, that's exactly what I feel right now. And they were able to open the Bible and show her that Jesus is the man on the white horse and that they were the community around that man, and she gave her life to Christ. And then they asked her, well, how long, how, when did you have the dream? And she said, I had it 30 years ago. But she said, I've been asking people ever since, could anyone tell me who was the man on the white horse? And no one's been able to tell me until this moment. God is there. He is working. And if you've got friends and family who are not yet uh, come to faith in Christ, know this, God is at work. He, they might feel like they're a million miles away from him, but he is very near to them. Have confidence. If you yourself this morning are not yet a follower of Christ, no. Look back over your life and try and, think, try and see, where, did, where was God moving? What was he doing in your, in your life? So his imminence, and when you know his presence, you're never alone. But the third is this, his manifest presence. If we're to live in the reality of God's presence, we've got to understand both his, his omnipresence, both his imminence, but also his manifest presence. And, and his manifest presence is like his imminence in the sense that it's a recognition that God is near. But when God is imminent, I cannot acknowledge or even see or detect that he's there. But when he's manifest, I have no choice. I can see the hand of God at that moment. And, and this is what uh, it says in, in Exodus. There's a story of a guy called Moses, and he was leading uh, God's people out of slavery in a land called Egypt. And as he was leading them out, he was told to lead them to a land, a promised land flowing with milk and, and honey, which in those days were kind of the, kind of the luxury staple goods of the, of the day, something that everyone would want to have plenty of. For you, I don't know what it is, galaxy chocolate, I don't know, Marmite or something. No, it's probably not Marmite, is it? I don't know. I, people in the morning service said, someone said whiskey and cooked breakfast. I don't know. So a land flowing with whiskey and cooked breakfast. No, that's not good, is it? Either. Anyway, whatever, you draw your own, your own story there. They were taking them to this land, and this is what... The Lord says to him, get going, Moses, get up to this land that flows with milk and honey or whatever, your whatever, uh, and I will not, but I will not travel among you for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. And if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. But Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on my people and on these people? If you don't go with us, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. Moses was aware of God's omnipresence. He was aware of his imminence. But what did he want? He said, I want your manifest presence. How else will anyone know that we are your people? We just look like any other nation unless you show up and show that you're showing up, unless you demonstrate your presence. And you know, that hasn't changed for me. That's exactly what God's people should look like. What sets us apart from any other social club, from any other nice bunch of do-gooders that are trying to help the world around them? What sets us apart? And we applaud what other people do, but there is something that should set the church apart is God's manifest presence. Is God amongst us? The tangible signs of God moving amongst us is what should set us apart. And Moses said that thing. Uh, And you notice this in Matthew 28 when Jesus is sending his disciples out. 
So thousands of years later, he's now sending his disciples out to their promised land to do what he's called them to do. And this is what he says. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Moses has to beg God, come with us. Come with us. Don't send us out on our own. And God says, I don't know if I can come with you because you're a sinful and rebellious people. And Moses begs, and finally God agrees that he will come. He's a holy God. And he can't easily mix with those that are completely in rebellion against him. But finally he agrees. Notice that Jesus doesn't have to be begged. Begged. He offers to come. He promises to come. Why? Because the, the sin thing has been dealt with. The sin thing has been dealt with. When he died on the cross and rose again, the sin issue has been dealt with. We are now under the grace of God. We now experience that grace. So we don't have to beg God to come anymore. We don't have to say, please don't send me out there. We can just assume and expect, Jesus, you promised that when I go, you come. When I go, that you would not leave me alone, that your manifest presence would go with us. If you're in the mode to, to beg God, then, then you're thinking like Moses' day, and we're in a new day. We're in a new day. We're in a, in a day when we can expect God to show up because he's promised to do so. And, and, and you th- might think, well, how? How does God show up? And, and there's lots of different ways, but a few. First, you can hear God's manifest presence. This is what it says in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the Christians, all the followers of Jesus were meeting in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. So you can hear, they heard a roaring windstorm. When God manifests his presence, sometimes you hear it. And I've witnessed that numbers of times in my life. There was once, a, a couple of times I've seen this, uh, a lady called Zoe was playing the bass guitar in worship one morning and she stopped playing and the bass just kept on going. And I turned to Caroline, we chatted to each other and said, do you hear that? And then we saw Zoe mouth to us, do you, do you hear what's going on? Because she could hear it, we could hear it. The bass just kept on going even though, and I know you're thinking, that's weird. I know it's weird. And listen, you need to know something about me. I did four A-levels. I did chemistry, physics, maths, and further maths. How sick is that? I, I mean... <laughs> I then went to do a physics degree. I did a degree in physics and I quit that after a year and did a four-year degree in engineering. I had science and the study of science coming out of my ears for seven years and God's chosen me to witness some of these things. I mean, my left brain and right brain are so out of balance, I have to have scaffolding to hold my head up. (laughs) And yet I cannot deny what I have seen. I cannot deny I've seen too much stuff. And, and, and natural, as I said, I was an atheist. That was my background. I was born to be sceptical, and yet God has transformed me. And I've seen things that I can't deny. I'm a witness of what I've seen, and many others too. Sometimes you hear his manifest presence. Sometimes you see it. Notice that they had flames of fire that they saw. And I've seen God's manifest presence numbers of times. There's a, a guy called Mel Tari in Indonesia and when God's presence used to manifest, the, the, the building from the outside looked like it was on fire. In fact, the fire brigade got called several times to their building because they, the neighbours called the churches on fire. But it wasn't. It was just God's glory coming on the building. I've seen God's glory. I've seen it in, in, in a, like a gold-like glitter appear on people. And I've checked the carpet. You know, is it coming out of the carpet? I've checked the paint's not coming off the chairs. I've done all of that. I know what you're thinking. 
I've done all of that, but you can't, after a while, when it's on people's faces, on their hands, and then it's gone in a moment, you realize something of God's glory is manifesting around us. And, and, and then you can smell it. It says in the Song of Solomon, your name is like perfume poured out. When God manifests his presence, you can sometimes smell, you can smell it. And we, we've, I've been in a meeting before where you just, the people, one person came up to me, I was at the back of the meeting, he said, can you smell that burning? It's like a bonfire is going on. And I said, I can't smell anything. And then someone else said, can you smell, it's like a bomb, we need to check the building's not on fire. And then someone else came and said, can you smell that? Bomb? And there was like four or five people running up, we checked the aircon. we checked outside, we checked other rooms in this building. You couldn't, there was nothing, there was no other smell. And, and I'm a bit slow on these things. I was like, oh, maybe it's God. <laughs> maybe God is manifesting his presence. And, and I knew that it was the Lord later because Phil Wilthew, uh, who leads here with us, he went, who was ill, I think, and he drove home. And so he'd not witnessed any of this, didn't have any of this conversation. But he told us the next day, as he was driving home, he had to pull his car over because the smell of burning was so strong. He pulled his car over to check his car wasn't on fire, lifted the bonnet, looked to, to see, uh, um, uh, and, he had, and the, his clothes stank of smoke when he got home. I know this is fusing some of your brains, but I'm just being a faithful witness to what the Bible says and what we have seen. God manifests his presence, and sometimes you can feel it. Acts 4.31 says, After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. I've not yet experienced that, and uh, I know Royden's not so keen for that one, uh, <laughs> that this building was shaped, but sometimes the Lord does this. But lastly, probably the most common way is that you just sense it. This is what it says in Acts 2. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That You just sense it. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's awe. Probably one of the most profound times I was in a meeting, a guy called uh, James Maloney was speaking. And uh, as he was speaking, the sense of the awe of God just came in the room in a way that I've never before or since experienced that. It was like the fear of God was in the room. And my friend Damien at the end came up to me and said, did you feel that? And he was sitting in the back, I was sitting in the front. Did you feel that? I was like, oh, it was unbelievable. The awe of God. And that's, that was the closest I've ever got to that scripture, where it says a deep sense of awe filled their hearts. You know, I, I want to be in a church that both knows that God loves us, but also has a deep sense of reverence and awe, that he is God, that he is God. So we can see and experience God, manifest presence, and it's key. Well, I know this is stretching for some of you, but I'm trying to be faithful to what the Bible says and to what we've experienced and to raise our expectations. Why don't you just turn to a neighbor? Which, which of those, if any, have you experienced or seen of the manifest presence of God? Just take a moment. Who has seen has experienced at least one of those? Put your hand up. That's amazing. And if you haven't, the, the danger could be you think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a second-class Christian. You really are not. Do not take that conclusion. We are all sons and daughters of the living God. If we're a follower of Christ, it's not about what we've seen or haven't seen. Sometimes we see things, sometimes we don't. I mean, I'm a dullard on the far these things are concerned. People have seen way more than I've seen. Uh, uh, but the reality is it's not about what we've seen or what we haven't seen. It's about understanding that God loves to manifest his presence. And what do we do? You know, when he does and we sense things, the danger can be we think it's just like a, a party trick. You know, God's showing, oh, look, I can juggle. You know, it's not that. It's not God's party trick just saying, oh, look at me. No, no, no. When, he's, when we sense the manifest presence of God, what should happen in our hearts? Faith. We should stop what we're doing and think God's got an agenda here. 
God's got an agenda. He is up to something. What is he up to? Immediately let your spiritual radar go up and think, okay, Lord, because it's so easy, isn't it, in this life, just to go through the motions of life and you get in the tasks and you do that and the other and the other. But we've got to learn as people, when God manifests his presence, do not take it for granted. Stop and say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing um, uh, amongst us? What are you doing in, in, in our community? What are you doing in our life? Who do you want to touch? Where do, where do you want to move? Understand that. And the last thing is this. We've got to understand God's omnipresence. We've got to understand his imminence. We've got to understand his manifest presence. But probably more important than anything else, we've got to understand his anointing presence. This is what it says in Acts 4. While staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when my spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't just promise his disciples that he would be with them. He promised that he would anoint them. That he would anoint them with his spirit. That he would rub his spirit onto them. That's what that word anoint means. He would rub his spirit on them such that it becomes difficult to tell what's you and what's God. You become anointed by God. And this isn't just for a few elite. Notice he gave this command to all of his disciples. This is for all of us. No one is excluded. No one is second class. This isn't just for the kind of power people. This is for each one that we would know his anointing. And you know, sometimes there are different stages. I think there's the stage where you're just unconsciously anointed. You haven't realized what you're carrying. That God has come on you and has touched you and has filled you with his spirit. And certainly I've known that season in my life. I remember the first, probably the first miracle I saw outside of, uh, of a kind of church setting. Uh, I'd said on that Sunday, I'd said, if, you, if you're too afraid to pray for someone who's not yet come to faith in Christ and you want to pray for them and they're sick in some way, then call me. I mean, I wasn't expecting anyone to do it. And this, the next day, this lady called me. She said, I've got this guy. He's, a, he, he's, a, he's a, come to clean my oven, but he's got RSI in his wrist, and he can't work. And the doctor's told him he's got to come off work for six, six uh, months. But God can heal him, can't he? I said, yeah, I think he can. She said, well, you talk to him then. And she just shoved the phone over to him. And that was one of the most awkward conversations in my entire life. He said, hello. And I said, hello. And then we were both just silent. And no one knew what to say. And I said, uh, she says that you're injured in your wrist. He's like, to be honest, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I'm desperate. I cannot take six months off work. Uh, I've got my wife and kids to feed. I've got, I can't stop working. So I don't believe in this, but if you'll come, I'll, 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 you, know, you, can, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, so I met him that, that Wednesday night and uh, prayed for him. And he said, I can feel burning in my wrist. It's like my wrist is on fire. And on the outside, I said, yes, that's what the Lord does when he heals people. On the inside, I was like, yes, I think we got one. <laughs> I kept it calm on the outside. I didn't want him to know I was like the first time, you know. <laughs> so we can be unconscious and we can become conscious. And that, you see that in the disciples, the first time that Jesus sends them out. And they come back and say, even the spirits submit to us. They, didn't, they have no clue what they were carrying. And then we can become conscious. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me and I felt power go from me. He was conscious. In fact, when a woman touched him in faith, he felt the power go out of him because he was conscious of the anointing of God's power on him. And, you know, it's recognizing that our journey is to move from being unconscious to conscious. Uh, God is on me from a follower of Christ that the Spirit of God has been put in me. And I can grow in that and I can go deeper in that, but ultimately he is in me. Become conscious of that. 
Learn to feel the signs of his presence, his anointing on you. Some of you will feel electricity. Some of you, your, your teeth will rattle. Some of you will feel heat or warmth. Learn the signs of how God, and some of you don't feel anything. You just know it's a consciousness awareness of it. What is it for you? In fact, just even now, some of you, just, just, you've just sensed electricity just come onto your body, into your hands or into your mouth, or you're, you're just, you've just become very uh, sensitized. So just raise a hand if that's you. It's interesting, isn't it? And if you don't feel anything, that's fine. You know, sometimes I don't feel anything and sometimes I do. You've got to learn what the Lord is doing in our lives. We've got to learn if we're going to carry and be aware of God's presence. When you know that God is present, you're never alone again. And some of you go into difficult circumstances and situations and the thing that you need is to be conscious of God's presence with you. You know, put your hand on that door as you walk into that workplace and think, God is present. (laughs) Not only is he just... present, omnipresent, or even imminent, or even his manifest, but he has anointed me to walk through this door right now. But the last thing is to be confident. Confident. This is what Peter, one of Jesus' earliest followers, says when he's asked by a lame man for some money. I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Notice he didn't think it was his power. He knew it was Jesus' power, in Jesus' name. In fact, later when asked about it, he says, do you think it's our power that's done this? No, this is in the name of Jesus this man's been healed. But he also knew that he had it. What I, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. He knew that he was carrying something. He was confident. And I just feel this is the journey for the church. Not, even, not to be unconscious, not even to be conscious, but more than that, we've got to learn to be confident in what you're carrying what we're carrying in God. We've got to learn to be confident that God has anointed us, that his spirit is on us, that he's not just wanting to be omnipresent, he's wanting to be very, very present through his church, through his people. Learning to be faithful with what you've already been given, learning to seek more, to say, God, fill me more. I want to be filled again and again and again. You see that in the early church. Learning to carry with confidence what God has put in you is a key journey for us in the church today. Let me finish with this story. Martin Luther King, he was 26 years old when he took over the the civil rights movement in the States. He got death threats from the Ku Klux Klan and others. He was uh, under pressure. He was arrested by the police for just going five miles over the speed limit, putting his first night in prison, 26 years old. Came back that night, phone call from somebody saying, we're sick of you. If you don't get out of this town, um, we're going to kill you and blow your house up. That's what he lived under. And then uh, that night, he sat there, unnerved, afraid, scared for his own life, scared for his kids. And this is what he writes. As I sat at that table, he said, thinking about the little girl and, and my little girl and thinking about the fact that she could be taken away from me at any minute, I started thinking about a dedicated and devoted loyal wife who was ever, even there asleep I got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I bowed down over a cup of coffee. And I'll never forget it. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But, must, oh Lord, I must confess I am weak. 
I'm so weak now, I'm faltering, I'm losing my courage. And it seemed to me at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And I heard the voice of Jesus saying to to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Three nights later, his house was blown up. The front porch, a bomb was left on the front porch. He got through it, and this is what he said. My experience a few nights before had given me strength to face it. I am never alone. When you know God's present, you can never be alone again. No matter the deepest pit or whatever we face in our lives, the answer to the epidemic of loneliness on our planet is understanding this. God is present. God is present and we can never be alone again. Let's take a minute to pray, shall we? What's the next step for you, for me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Wow. Just first, I just want to take a moment to pray. If you've not yet given your faith, you put your faith in Christ but you've heard some things and seen some things this morning that I've said, you know what, I'm ready. Then just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you that you have never left me alone. And I come to you today to choose to follow you, to receive your forgiveness. and to experience your presence. In your name. If you prayed that prayer, just while everyone else is is focused on the Lord, just raise a hand so I can see if that's your time to respond to Christ. Thank you. Just put your hand up high if you are taking that step today to follow him. Thank you, that's great. Wonderful. At the end of the meeting, there's a team who are going to be at the Message of Jesus banner. You can go and chat to them and tell them what you've done, and they've got some stuff to give you. But for all of us, why don't we just stand wherever we are? And there's a TSM guys here and a ministry team. If you just want to come to the front, let's just lift our hands to heaven wherever we are. I know it's hot in here. We're nearly done. Aircon's obviously broken, but God is present. Just lift your hands to heaven and just receive now because I want to pray for confidence. And I want you guys just to see what you feel the Lord doing and just move around the room and just begin to pray for people. Just guys that have come forward, just just look at what the Lord is doing and just move around and just begin to pray for people. I just want to pray, God, for a confidence. I just pray now for loneliness to be shaken off of hearts that have been had a deep entrenched loneliness even as believers for the consciousness of your presence your imminence to lift them up come spirit of god come spirit of god thank you father thank you father come holy spirit i just pray lift off if you felt that just a deep loneliness and this message was for you on that theme today just raise a hand nothing to be ashamed of 
If you felt that, you just realize that when you've battled with loneliness, just raise a hand high. Just think there's numbers that need to receive a touch from God. Come, Spirit of God, we pray for a deep consciousness of your presence that would go beyond anything that these guys have ever known before beyond community and we pray for community beyond family and we pray for family beyond that a deep awareness of you we say come spirit of God bless them and we just pray for each one here we pray for a a consciousness of anointing (sighs) come Holy Spirit a consciousness of the anointing of God that your anointing is on us that we are, we are not sent out on our own, that we don't have to beg you to come with us, but that you love to come, that you love to come, that you love to move. Fill us, God, with a, with a, with a, real, a real awareness of what we're carrying in you. Fill us, God with the awareness that when you are present, we are never alone. <laughs> fill us. Fill us. Thank you, Father. This is not something we earn. This is by grace. I pray, Father, for a confidence, a confidence of your grace. Just look to Jesus. Just look to him and receive from him. Just receive from him. I just pray, Father, for the manifest presence of you to uh, fall around us, that we would be sensitized to what you're doing, that we'd be able to stop. Some of you just need to surrender your diary to him. You've realized you have been aware, but you just keep on going. And it's time to learn to stop, to say, God, what are you doing? I can sense your manifest presence. What are you doing? I want to partner with you. I want that more than getting the tasks done, more than the, the next thing I've got to do. I want you. I want to partner with you. That's the greatest goal. That's the greatest aim of my life. Some of you, even in your mind, you need to tear up your diary, tear up your to-do list. Come, Spirit of God. <laughs>